Well, hello and, and greetings and thanks so much uh, for allowing me to be a part of this Wednesday summer series, Paul's Pen, uh, Timeless Truths from Paul's Letters. And in the words of the very letter that we're going to be looking at tonight, I would echo Paul in saying that my preference, of course, would be to be with you in person and not only in spirit. When I think about how warmly uh, you have greeted and welcomed me in the past and, and made me just feel right at home with you, uh, when I think about uh, what a blessing your church family has been to my own family. I mean, you guys have put up with Matt for a long time now, and I know better than most what a feat that is. I mean, you must be great people. No, but seriously, uh, Matt tells me all the time uh, about you, and, and when he talks about you, he often has stories about how you are partnering with him in the good work uh, that he has been doing among you for many years now, and, and how you are partnering with God and in what God is doing in your neighborhood and, 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 and helping one another for one another's sake in the name of Jesus. And, and it really just makes me so excited to hear about the good things happening at McDermott Road. Uh, and it makes me very thankful to know about the good work you're doing for the very same cause uh, in your part of the Metroplex. And, and I, of course, am thankful most of all today that uh, even though we are not understandably able to be together in person, just as Paul says in this letter we're going to look at tonight, it is a blessing that we can nevertheless be united in spirit. And the fact that we are apart from one another certainly does not uh, keep us from encouraging one another to strive for those things that matter the very most. And I hope that this lesson that, that we share tonight and these words from uh, Paul's own pen will uh, do something that helps us to do exactly that, to strive for something that I believe truly matters most. So thank you uh, for allowing me to, to share in this time with you. You know, on my left hand, I wear a ring uh, on the fourth finger. Being so close to the camera as we are, I can actually show it to you. Check that out. Uh, it's just a, a simple golden band. Uh, it's a, a family ring passed down uh, on Alyssa, my wife's side of the family. Uh, and it's a ring that Alyssa shared with me uh, almost six years ago now. It's really almost hard to believe how, how quickly the time has flown. Uh, and it's a ring that I really only ever take off of this finger once a year when I'm making sausage cheese balls on Christmas Eve because I feel that in order to unlock that sausage cheesy goodness, you got to get your hands in and mix it up yourself. Uh, but other than that, that's about it. Other than that, it is just glued to my finger every day of every year. And Alyssa, of course, has one of these as well, a ring that she wears. It's not quite as simple. It's a little more ornate with a woven yellow gold band and a halo of diamonds and one center stone. That's what you would see if you were looking at it right now. 
What you wouldn't see are the little saved up summer job paychecks and the part-time job in school. Uh, you wouldn't see my white knuckles gripping the steering wheel as I drove six hours home after a snowstorm because the little jeweler in Searcy, Arkansas was late getting that ring ready and the semester ended and then a blizzard hid and snowed me in and I wasn't about to propose without that ring in my hand and I wasn't about to wait another weekend without proposing. It had to be both. And it had to be now. In fact, I, I remember I spent a lot of time carefully picking out just the right ring that I could share with Alyssa for our engagement. And, and thankfully, a few hints had been dropped along the way. Otherwise, I would have been in over my head. But I remember wanting to just you know, have that precious, costly gift be something that she would truly want, you know, uh, something that she would truly love. Uh, because a ring is this precious, beautiful, costly thing. And I wanted her to love it. But of course, uh, it was never just about that ring either. Uh, an engagement ring, like all engagement rings, is, is kind of a two-part gift, isn't it? Uh, it's kind of a package deal. And naturally, I would have been more than a little disappointed if I had shared that ring with her and she had said, oh, this ring, I love it. It's just so perfect. Now you, on the other hand, uh, I'm not so crazy about. That would have been a little disappointing because in sharing that gift with her, I desired that she have more than just uh, a pretty ring. And when I shared that gift with her, I was sharing, of course, more than just the gift itself. It wasn't just a gift. It, it was a a union, a relationship. It was an invitation to become family. And when we exchanged those rings with one another, we were exchanging not just rings, but lives. We were sharing not just a gift with one another, but actually sharing our own lives with one another. And I wouldn't have wanted to do that without that precious ring. But the ring and me, we were a package deal. And in putting together those two things, that precious, costly gift, and that relationship, that life shared, isn't that what gives that exchange so much meaning? And, and I think that when we take a, a, a serious look at what the scriptures have to say to us tonight, uh, I think that we find something very much like that in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And it's a passage found in a little book of the New Testament, a little letter of Paul called First Thessalonians. Uh, if you'd like to get out a Bible and follow along, we're going to be spending our time in, in First Thessalonians today. And, and as you go there and turn there, perhaps you may be interested to know that uh, in turning to this letter, 1 Thessalonians, we just might be turning to the very earliest written words of the New Testament itself. Uh, 
It is, of course, debatable which one of Paul's letters was the one that he wrote first, and it's possible that some others in your series may have pointed to Galatians or, or one of the others as, as being the earliest letter of Paul, and that's very possible. But it does seem pretty certain that Paul's letters were written down before the Gospels were written down, and, and there's a lot of reasons to believe that maybe this one, 1 Thessalonians, may have in fact been the earliest written words of what we now call the New Testament. And in these potentially earliest written words, when Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he reminds them that the gift that he brought to their city was in fact a two-part gift. It was a package deal, and it's better that way. Let me show you what I mean. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, but it is especially verses 7 and 8 that I want us to pay close attention to today. Uh, so take a, a closer look when we get to those verses as well. So here we go, verse 1. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy are writing these words, and they say, You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God, in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply did we care for you that we determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. So here in this passage, what is Paul saying and, and talking about with the church in Thessalonica? Well, as I see it, it seems to me like he's taking a moment and he's reflecting back on the earliest shared memories that he shares with the church there when he came to their city, right? That's what he's doing here. He's looking back and remembering those earliest times when he came to Thessalonica uh, on his second missionary journey. If you want to know more about the time he spent there, Acts chapter 17 gives us a little glimpse into some of the things that he endured and, and some of the things that happened when he was there in that town. But now he's thinking back as he writes and he's talking about those early days when he was there among them. And he's reminding them, is he not, that when he came to their city, uh, he brought to them this great gift 
For you yourselves know, verse 1, we didn't come to you in vain, but when we came to you, we came to you and brought to you what? Verse 2, the gospel of God, in spite of great opposition. When Paul and company go to Thessalonica, what they bring with them to this city and to this people, the gift that they have given to them, it's the gospel. The gospel of God, a message that is not deceitful or impure or tricky, verse 3. A message that it does not come from greed or from any sort of form of self-promotion, verse 5. A message that is pure and precious and costly, the gospel of God. Something even more precious than gold, am I right? And this, Paul says, is what we brought to you. The gift that we shared with you. For through this gift, the Thessalonians and any who receive it might come to know a true and living God. That's what chapter 1 verse 9 says, probably just one page to the left if you're following along in a Bible. In that verse, uh, we read that the Thessalonians have come, verse 9, to turn away from worthless idols and to worship a true and living God, a God who raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 10, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. And this is why this gospel is so precious, right? Because through this gospel, we might be able to encounter a true and living God. Through this gospel, we might actually come to know Jesus, the risen rescuer of our lives and souls. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, that's the gift we bring brought to you, something more valuable, something more pure, something more precious and costly than even the finest jewelry, the gospel of God. That's our gift to you. But then he doesn't stop there. From verse 1 to verse 7, Paul has been describing the gift that is the gospel of God. But then in verse 8, and I find this part very important, Paul says, it is in fact a gift that keeps on giving. This gift that we brought to you, the gospel, it is not just a gift unto itself, but in fact, when we shared it with you, and as we continue to share it with you, we share more than just that gift alone. So, verse 8, Paul says this, So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. So did you catch that? Not only the gospel of God, but also our own 
selves. This is the gift we brought to you, Paul says. Not only the gospel, but also our very lives. It's a package deal, like an engagement ring. Uh, precious and costly in and of itself points to more than just itself, but also to a relationship, a life shared, an invitation to become family. So also in that very same way, the gospel, precious and pure in itself, is a sign of more than just itself. It also is an invitation into deeper relationships with God and with other human beings than any other avenue can offer to us. And to accept its message, like accepting a, an engagement ring, is to to gain more than just something personal for yourselves. It's more than just obtaining something for your own benefit. It means becoming family. It means being willing to share your very life with those whom the gospel has united and with all of those whom the gospel hopes someday to unite. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that the gospel and you are a package deal. And for this reason, as Paul knows very well himself, the gospel and you are best shared together. Just think about the way that Paul himself chooses to share the gospel in his ministry and why it is so effective, because I think it really boils down to one thing. When Paul shares the gospel, he shares it relationally. Uh, when Paul shares this precious gift, he shares of himself along with it. Uh, like, for example, when Paul goes to a new town, like Thessalonica in one example, he, he's not just a mere distributor of information there, is he? No, he's a, he's a person, like living amongst the people and sharing in the lives of the people of the city, the very ones that he's trying to share the gospel with. Uh, he shares not only a message about God, but he shares his own life. Uh, he shares not only a good and powerful gospel, but he lives it. And he shares it even in the ordinary stuff as well. The ordinary stuff of life. Uh, thus Paul continues, verse 9 of, of chapter 2, You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so as that we might not burden any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And when Paul is talking here about working night and day, presumably he's talking about uh, working as a tent maker which is something that he does in a lot of places on his missionary journeys to make a living. Uh, this is a job that is not of any special advantage or prestige or honor. It's just an ordinary job. But it's one that nonetheless has this really profound effect on Paul's message. And as Paul labors, Paul lives amongst and shares in the lives of the people of the city. And the way that Paul carries himself as he works, doesn't it give such authenticity to his message, right? Because Paul says we work night and day, and it was for a purpose, it was so that when we shared this precious gift to you, you might receive it as the gift that it is. 
a gift freely given, not a burden to you, but a gift. He labors night and day to not be burdensome to anyone. He's sharing of himself. His own labor and toil is a gift given in tandem with the gospel itself. And as Paul does this, I think he communicates more than just information alone. In fact, when he does this, he is forming these incredibly deep bonds, these relationships with the people that he's trying to reach. They are bonds like family. Take a look at verse 11 of chapter 2, where Paul basically says this. He says, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, verse 11. That's how we see you, Paul says, like family. Verse 7, it's very much the same thing. He says, we cared for you so deeply like a nursing mother tenderly caring for her own children. As we shared the gospel with you, we were inviting you into our lives and in our hearts. And so deeply did we care for you that we determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Like that's how deeply we cared about you in Paul's own ministry ministry, the gospel, and his very life. They're a package deal. And when Paul shares this gift of the gospel along with the gift of himself, it is all the more beautiful. It is all the more effective, like an engagement ring and the lives it unites in the bonds of family. The gospel is a gift like that. But its beauty and its power are not yet fully realized until we learn to share it along with ourselves. The gospel and you are a package deal. And to me, if you ask me, this powerful combination, the gospel in our lives, it is the great opportunity that you have at your fingertips, McDermott Road. It is the great power that we have the opportunity to harness as those who desire to share this gift. Because in order for us to be as effective as we can be, and in order for the full beauty and power of this gift to be seen and experienced, we must learn to share this gospel not as mere information alone, but also in relationship, in the fullness of ourselves. And I can tell you that that is something that I'm still learning how to do as best I can. But even though I'm not always the best at doing it, I'm still committed uh, to believing in, in its importance. Uh, the gospel and you are best shared together. When the gospel and you are shared together, that's when people see what Paul said, so deeply do we care for you. And I'm personally just so thankful for all of those people out there who have learned to do this even better than I have. Because they, like Paul, become this great example to us in how powerful this truly can be. Uh, in fact, today I, I'd like to a close by describing one such person to you, uh, one of those people who I believe has really lived this verse well 
in their life. Uh, it's my own grandfather uh, who passed away just a few months ago, my mom's father. Uh, he was a, a person who I really believe is a great example of why this verse is so important. Uh, he's, he's like Paul in a lot of ways in sharing the gospel with himself. Uh, actually, in some ways, to compare my grandfather to Paul is kind of a, a funny thing to do. Uh, you know, if you knew him, you, you'd probably notice that right away because he, he's kind of the last person that I would imagine, you know, standing up before the Areopagus in, in, in Acts chapter 17 and addressing the Athenian philosophers. Like, I, I just don't see him wanting to do that in, in the least bit. And, and all of the attention that would come with a great speech, that just so wasn't him. But at the same time, he and Paul do share this in common. When my granddad became a Christian, which he became later in life, he truly lived his life like sharing the gospel should be shared along with himself, his time, his efforts, his energies, uh, his resources, his, his very life. Uh, and he really set a great example for me in that, and, and maybe also for many others. Uh, for most of his life, he worked as a, a training instructor uh, with helicopters. He, he spent a lot of time working at Bell Helicopter. Uh, before he worked there, he, he worked still with helicopters in mineral wells. And, and when he was working in mineral wells as a training instructor, one of his uh, jobs was to teach this training course uh, for Vietnamese students. These men had, you know, uh, uprooted their lives and moved to Texas uh, to go through these training courses. And, and, and part of the course was taught by my granddad. And my mom has told me about how every Sunday morning he would get up early and he would make the drive from Weatherford, Texas to Mineral Wells, Texas to invite any of those Vietnamese students far from home who were living uh, in Mineral Wells to come with him that morning to come to church with him. And then after church, every time they would go back to my granddad's house where my grandmother would fix a meal for them and they would sit at the family table and share the meal. And then they would spend the afternoon with the family in the house, fellowshipping with one another, and then they would go for evening services. And then, after all of that, my grandfather would make the drive again to drop them off in Mineral Wells, and then he'd make the drive again back to Weatherford late in the evening. Uh, and he would do this week after week. And these students who shared so many car rides with him, so many family Sunday lunches with him, well, they sort of became like family. And my mom's family would go and watch them graduate from their training courses. In one case, they even went to Atlanta to watch one of them graduate from a program. And they were sort of invited into my mother's family all because my granddad was sharing not just the gospel, but also his own self. And I think a lot of people saw that in him. When he passed away, uh, there's a, a member of my church who also worked at, uh, at Bell Helicopter, and he shared with me some of the things that his coworkers 
uh, posted about him when they learned about his passing. Things like, John was one of the kindest men I met at Bell Helicopter in 37 years. Or John was one of those people that you want your children to turn out to be like as an adult. Uh, things like always had a smile and never forgot a name came up again and again. And then there was one that I especially remember. Someone said, he was one of the kindest men uh, that I've ever met. He didn't just train his students. He adopted them. And in these things, I see a man who was living out this verse, chapter 2, verse 8, in just such a powerful way, sharing not only the gospel, but also doing it so relationally and using just the ordinary stuff, like his job as a training instructor with helicopters, living his daily life just so purposefully. And because of this, people uh, regarded him in his faith as authentic. Uh, and they viewed his intentions as genuine. And his efforts brought people closer together. They made people closer like family. That's what people saw in him. And I think that that's the kind of power that we really have at our fingertips if we can learn to share not only the gospel but also our own selves because the gospel and you are a package deal. They're best shared together. I wonder what this verse might mean for you in your life. What does it mean for you to share not only the gospel, but also your own self? Like, what does that mean for me? You know, there's a popular book that came out not too long ago, 2018, I think. Uh, the title of the book was called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And the book was basically about this very concept that when you compare sharing the gospel along with acts of hospitality, which are acts of sharing yourself, then that becomes this powerful, uh, beautiful, relational and effective combination. The gospel comes with a house key, the book said. Now, I know that these days with the coronavirus, that kind of puts a, a wrench into that sentiment just a little bit right now, but maybe the idea might actually be expanded. Like perhaps we might consider today how you might finish the rest of that title if you were filling in the blank. Because in my mind, sharing yourself could be so many different things. Maybe it's not for you. The gospel comes with a house key, but the gospel comes with a fishing pole. That's who you are. Sharing yourself looks like that. Or maybe the gospel comes with a plate of chocolate chip cookies. Or the gospel comes with a pen and a spiral notebook. Uh, or a stack of cards and envelopes and stamps. For Paul, the gospel came with a set of tent poles and canvas as a, a tent maker. Maybe it comes with a timesheet from wherever you work your 9 to 5. Or it comes with a wrench or a math 
textbook or a treble and bass clef. Uh, one of, my point is simply that we've been given this precious gift, this powerful gift to share with the world, and it becomes even more sweet, even more beautiful when we learn to share it along with those things that make us authentically you, our ordinary yet gifted selves. Because God can use people like my granddad and you and me to invite the world into the extraordinary community of his gospel-formed family. And when we learn to share not only the gospel but ourselves as this package deal, I think that the world will see what Paul says in that verse. So deeply do we care for you. Well, maybe this is a message that challenges you. Maybe it challenges you to consider the beauty of the gift itself, the gospel, that so deeply did Christ care for you that he shared truly his full self, uh, even to the point of death on a cross for you and for your sake. Or maybe you're challenged like I am that because of this precious gift that we hold in our hands, we have something worth sharing with the world and it is up to us to learn how to share that along with the very best and fullness of what God has given us, sharing the gospel and sharing ourselves. May it be so in us. Allow me to say a prayer that it will be so in us that we can share the gospel in ourselves as the package deal that they are. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your son, the gift of the gospel, precious and costly, more than we deserve. We pray that you would teach us to appreciate that gift in all that we are and in all that we do. And we thank you, Lord, that that gift is not just for our own personal gain, but Lord, that that gift is something that invites us into your family and invites us to share that invitation with so many others. I pray that you would help all of us to share that gift as best we can and to use our own lives as part of the gift that we share. God bless the McDermott Road Church family as they uh, continue to walk together through the, the time of life and, and season that we're in right now. I pray that you keep everyone safe and well and that you bless and, uh, and encourage each person to not only live faithfully to you, but to continue to embrace our mission in every way that we can. And we thank you most of all for Jesus. All these things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. God bless you and keep you. Thank you for allowing me to share in this moment with you. Uh, and until we meet again, the Lord bless you.